And welcome to the Dice of Screaming. And, <laughs> and I'm Randy. I am Mike. Yeah, and we're back with yet another episode to regale your ears and tantalize your senses with. Oh, oh no. <laughs> Wait, you're going to entrust a duty like that to the lunatic in the hall of gaming podcasts? Oh, I well, don't think so. <laughs> yeah, we're the failed sanity check. <laughs> Of gaming podcasts. All right. Well, you know, it is what it is. And hey, uh, we got a nice little uh, episode lined up for you. We're going to be covering Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, as foretold. Yeah, we're going 5e, just as promised. The Psyomancer was correct. Yeah. Uncanny, huh? Man, he sees such wonders in the shadows. Yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, we got some good feedback from Appendix and Movie Night. Glad you guys like that. Always fun to go back and review movies. We've been doing this for a while, so uh, we had a couple people's question about, uh, hey, uh, you know, where can we get these movies and where can we get that? So let us know if you uh, if you've never seen those movies and you saw them for the first time. Maybe let us know what you thought about them and uh, what some of your thoughts are. Of course, we're always interested in that. And uh, speaking of thoughts, we got Colin Green giving us a call in from Spike Pit. Yes, he has crawled forth from the spiked pit. That sounds really <laughs> Found nice. his wounds uh, and then dialed us up. Right, so take it away, Colin. Appendix N, movie night. Great idea, guys. Uh, chalk up a uh, vote for Lady Hawk from me. I'll leave you to decide why Lady Hawk's my favourite, but uh, read between the lines, guys. <laughs> um, glad you're still there putting it out and uh, I wish you all the best take care and I'll catch you later alright Colin yeah thanks man um, wow. so good to hear your voice again good on ya I, I'm going to make a wild guess um, on a couple of things that might have been you know, your favorite elements that, uh, you know, push Lady Hawk up into the top uh, category of those three movies. Uh, would one of them be the double crossbow? Because mm. I know when I first saw that movie, that was a big selling point to me right there. Just, uh, but the other thing for me was uh, Rutger Hauer's laconic, uh, you know, implacable presence. I mean, he just, he absolutely stole the show i think and yeah spoiler alert it's rutger hauer yeah I, it, there's i i would be hard pressed to find any rutger hauer movie where i went eh. what <laughs> yeah. good on you glad you enjoyed yeah and we've been doing this for a while like i said and, and you know it's nice to see that people enjoy stuff uh, when i get some feedback either in uh, private messages on twitter or other places people tell me like oh i totally forgot about that movie oh it's so great that's what we really like that's why we do it we call it appendix n movie night because you know while the appendix n is notorious for having a ever-changing list of books that are included into it as we discover old ones or ones that we've forgotten about oh yeah that was such a great album yeah we've made appendix n kind of our call sign for anything that is here's a well of inspiration for gamers uh, and we are super big on the, like the draw inspiration from the well of ideas that are out there. Every DM and every player uh, can get a chance to pull from that enormous pool of resources. You know, this, this thought well that is just filled with so many wonderful things that have happened over the last Man, I, I really want to say the last century, because um, <laughs> you know, film as a medium uh, has expanded so much uh, over the last hundred years, uh, and yeah, music and of course literature and things like that. There are so many things to be inspired by, uh, and reaching out and gathering them all up and then parceling them out for people to you know. Add, ultimately make their own yay or nay about. I find it enormously entertaining. Uh, and not to mention that it, like we have differing in, in levels of inspiration from different sources ourselves. 
So we wind up every so often, even though we've known each other a really long time, Randy and I run across something like, oh, what is that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where, where the deep cut is so deep, one of us hasn't heard of it yet. Yeah, that, that does happen. But, you know, just like Joe Don Baker says, anytime you feel squirrely, you just jump. I like to, when we find something that really gets us motivated and we think about some movies, that one had been percolating for a while. We always seem to be rushed from one thing to another. Now we're getting caught up on it. We wanted to really jump on that one. So. Yeah, I think the first time we mentioned uh, like those three movies in particular, or we started examining them, it was almost like 80 or 90 episodes ago. It took us a long while. We had a lot of stuff with other priorities that, uh, you know, they it took precedence. So we're really pleased to have finally gotten that off the slate. Uh, but we had a lot of media stuff to do during the holiday season. Yeah. Uh, which, always a favorite time. Right around Thanksgiving, or, you know, that, that Halloween zone uh, is so much fun. And there are so many wonderful facets to, to horror and mystery and suspense. So we, we went through a lot of media at that time and that kind of forced us into like, okay, we'll put this off a few months. You know, we'll, we'll come back to it. But finally did it. Yeah. But there will be other appendix N types. Uh, it, and I'm, I'm just going to throw out a, you know, like spitball a few ideas to people. It's like one of them is going to be a like vintage science fiction. Uh, and another one is probably going to be a, you know, the, great samurai martial arts movies of yesteryear, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about stuff like, uh, you know, Akira Kurosawa's uh, Yojimbo, uh, you know, which, wow, uh, what a source of inspiration that's been to so many people. So, yeah, there will be other appendix ends forthcoming. Just, you know, we're, but we'll shake up the topic. All right, well, speaking of foreshadowing, what's the Sayomancer got for us? Uh, Does that foretell? Behold the shadows. I, I peer into the inky abyss. And what do I behold? What presents itself to the eyes of the Siomancer? From the shadows... I have divined that our next week's examination will be of the Al-Kadim setting. Oh, yes. Persian fantasy right up there with the Seven Voyages of Sinbad. Alibaba. Yeah, immensely important genre, uh, so to speak. But it's the the supplement released by TSR uh, that provided a setting. Now, this, mind you, moves us back to the end of first edition, dawn of second edition era Mm -hmm. of D&D. So it's been quite a while, uh, and it's a contentious subject in some regards, but it still deserves examination uh, because there are so many excellent qualities within it, uh, so much value that it's not a thing that should be like lightly discarded or ignored. So, Absolutely, yeah. yeah so, we're going to pick uh, that apart. Yeah, um, so we'll be doing some alternate fantasy history. Yeah, that'll be good. Oh, it was a wonderful setting. Yeah, it was. It was really... Um, it did tie in with the Crown Realms, but... Uh, a little, I always felt that it should have deserved its own kind of area, but hey, you know, wherever you want to put it, where is that's uh, something for us to discuss next week. So, tune in and uh, hopefully we'll be coming at you with that content right off the gate. So... With that said, uh, we don't have any reviews this week. I uh, hope you've been enjoying that. But this one's going to be a complete review, takedown, and a bit of a dissection of Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. You're jumping right into it right now. So, yeah. Fifth edition. Uh, this is the finest offering. This is literally what it says it is everything, it is a bunch of optional rules. And. <laughs> These optional rules are presented in a pick-and-choose format. Obviously, you can use them all, but you probably wouldn't want to. Uh, it's got spells, magic items, artifacts. Hey, this mighty servant from Lukio makes its appearance here. <laughs> or reappearance. Yeah, there are 
uh, aside from, you know, magical items uh, and uh, character options, which I, we're really going to be examining the character options first, but uh, I'm, I'm just going to go through that table of contents speed form, okay, before we do the genuine pick apart. Uh, section one is character options, and this is adjustments, tweaks, expansions of notions regarding character classes and their abilities. Uh, section two is some material you really won't find uh, laying around anywhere else, uh, group patrons. Uh, the idea of uh, employers for adventurers. Uh, this is basically an optional choice for adventure hooks, who is guiding you, who is motivating you, who is putting money in your pockets, and uh, this allows the DM a kind of ex machina uh, voice in the campaign that, you know, uh, if you are employed by a sage who is fascinated by ancient tomes, uh, then you wind up doing things like Candlekeep Mysteries, where you're always going after books and things of that nature. But if your patron is a noble and it's a high espionage-based campaign, then you're going to be in court and investigating the letters and papers of your opponents. And Not in legal court, but in the court of like a noble. Yes, uh, in, in a noble's court. Uh, but yeah, that is the role that patrons play. So that's going to be an interesting examination too. Then there's magical miscellany in section three uh, with spells that can be personalized and magical items. Uh, and finally, section four, which is Dungeon Master's Tools, a section that I personally have enormous enthusiasm for because uh, <clears throat> it covers puzzles, natural hazards, magical phenomena, uh, you know, supernatural regions, uh, parley with monsters, uh, the hiring of sidekicks, uh, and even some advice on how to have a session zero, which, like we have referenced before here in campaign, or sorry, here on the podcast. Right. So these are the four big blocks that make up this book. Uh, and coming out of the gate, we start with the using this book, what you'll find within, uh, explaining the four chapters. Uh, and then immediately after that, there's a very important passage uh, capital letters. It's all optional. Yep. So now I, I'm just going to, if you'll let me have one additional rant. The floor here, is please. yours, sir. Okay. I'm, I'm just going to rant on something. Now, uh, if you have not read this book yourself and you have listened to the internet, which, I mean, therein lies the first mistake. <laughs> the impression you might have uh, from the alarmists and the panic-stricken and the knock-kneed uh, is that don't this get is, the pearl clutchers. Yes, the pearl clutchers. Uh, that like this is some enormous Bigfoot straight jacket that uh, trampled over top of the entirety of the game, uh, left gigantic footprints, uh, and that now, uh, in accordance with U.S. law, any person playing outside of these boundaries will be hunted down by Wizards of the Coast's uh, private shock troops uh, and will be incarcerated and subjected to re-education. Uh, just going to throw it out to you. Those people have been lied to and oh. made a choice to believe that. Uh, the book is very, very clear on the optional nature of everything within. Uh, and there is not much of anything in here that could even be considered contentious. It's actually insanely difficult to find anything in here that I would think of as some sort of radical structural alteration of the game. I yeah, literally the, don't know the what they're section, talking about. The next section goes right there, if I can pause for a moment and interject. The rules to remember is that the DM adjudicates the rules. And so even this, the optional rules, are optional and able to be changed as the DMC spit. And also they spell out a little bit about the exceptions supersede general rules and general rules govern each part of the game. And then when you use these, then you have to understand the exceptions that supersede the general rules. And that's more of a nitpicky thing that would come up with rules lawyering, but it says this in page 32 of the player's handbook. Well, okay, we're using the exceptions, so that no longer applies. It should be obvious, but 
they had to state it anyway and the others go on. Yeah, it was a thoughtful, you know, opening discussion, which, I mean, this obviously occupies only the first couple of pages of the book. Uh, yeah, but, and then here's going to make another insight is all through the book, there's Marjolina written by Tasha and Morton Kanan and Elminster and other famous mages throughout history. And so that's alluded to the book to give, kind of give you a guiding principle of how each one of these characters kind of thought about certain things and how he's changed it. But uh, yeah, they just went, you know, as a beginning, they went over the 10 rules to remember, uh, including the like DM adjudication exceptions, supersede general rules, uh, managing advantage and disadvantage, uh, and the fact that like there is no double advantage or double disadvantage. No. It's either you have the advantage, and no matter how many times you have it, you have one. Uh, and right, likewise, and just, just like right here, is that uh, you know they say um, reaction timing proficiency bonus. Um, you know they have a Tasha there speaking about how she views the ways of things when she talked about the company of seven. Their studies with the Archmage Zagig. And so those give a little, that's nice little treats to us old timers of Greyhawk campaign and Forgotten Realms lore. So I like that. And, uh, <laughs> Go Tasha, big fan of your hideous laughter. Yep. <laughs> Not so much of your Aquilips stuff, but, uh, but Lost Caverns of Soja Cans. <clears throat> yeah, the 10th the rule of the 10 rules to remember was have fun. Yeah. I, uh, you know, sometimes you got to stop and remind gamers because they will, you know, they will lose track. Uh, we get some mission creep there. Yeah, so you start up with chapter one, which is pretty much character options, and it's pretty much crunch versus bluff, to use an old term. Never really liked it, but, you know, hey, it works. Even yeah, it's not the up. most important section to me at all. Uh, right. For me, the DM tools, I think, provided the most enormous value. We'll be covering that right at the very end. Yeah, this sees the artificer fully fleshed out with, in brung up the terms with other uh, characters, options throughout other games, or through other uh, supplements. Pardon me. Uh, well, uh, before we move into the classes themselves, there was a little category I wanted to mention at the beginning of this chapter. Which, oh, yeah. Uh, Sorry. It, it wasn't the, like, origin customization, but... Uh, you know, rather than the class-specific stuff, there was a section on changing in mid-campaign. You know, like as you're playing a character, mm -hmm. having radical alterations happen uh, owed to something that has happened in-game, like uh, the sudden change, justifiable sudden change. Sometimes a character undergoes a dramatic transformation in their beliefs and abilities. When a character experiences a profound self-realization or faces an entity or a place of overwhelming power, beauty, or terror, the DM might allow an immediate subclass change. Here are a few examples. An Oath of Devotion paladin failed to stop a demonic horde from ravaging her homeland. After spending a night in sorrowful prayer, she rises the next morning with the features of the Oath of Vengeance, ready to hunt down the horde. Ah, so it's basically, you know, putting down, like, a solid number of suggestions on how and when to appropriately make a change to a character that is, you know, campaign relevant. That uh, it's not just whimsically, you know, you, you can make a character like your, your druid is now a barbarian fighter. Like, no, that's that's not the point here. Uh, it's setting up ways to engage the player in the story that the DM is presenting and to have events unfold that have an impact upon the character beyond simply gaining experience points. So, you know, while it gets fairly specific, uh, I just want to say that I approve of. There's a there's a creative edge there that uh, crunches the thoughtful, involved element of campaign play uh, into like having tangible player value. And I do not disapprove of that. Oh, yeah, they also talk about incorporating training times as well as uh, how to change skills, swap features out as new supplements become available. Somebody wants them and says, hey, that really fits what I wanted to have. And I only took this other character option because that's the only thing that seemed appropriate at the time. But this one seems much more appropriate, how you can make those in the game. And that's good to have as well. And they basically go through the entire stage of starting characters and going through and kind of plotting out where you want to go 
but they give us some talk about this. But the artificer here is well presented, and it's a class that a lot of people like. I'm not so much for an artificer, but that's just me, and I definitely enjoy when people have new experiences that are outside of my own purview, and I definitely like seeing through other people's eyes how they enjoy the game. I have yet to run 5th edition, but if somebody were to play an artificer, I would definitely like to see how it how does out. it pan out? Yeah, how does I mean, you've out? seen similar effects in Pathfinder. Yeah, with the Alchemist and a couple others. But. Now, the Artificer is well fleshed out here. This is... Uh, I have personally enjoyed seeing the rise of steampunk-type notions creep into fantasy gaming. Uh, because what better place for exactly that? Uh, you know, in fantastic mm -hmm. worlds where uh, the technology is crude... Uh, you know, still under construction, you know, uh, the principles are still being ironed out. You got to love that. Uh, yeah, I feel I, this would be more in place with Eberron than it would Forgotten Realms. Thank you. But at the same time, I think that there's room in any campaign, even one as stodgy as Greyhawk, to have a certain amount of scientific and magical fusion of new concepts that resemble more technology than they do magic, but also incorporate magic as well. Yeah, I think of it as campaign-specific myself. Um, in, like, for instance, this is a moment where I get terribly stodgy. I'm very protective of Greyhawk uh, because I see it as the original uh, high-fantasy, high-magic campaign world. Uh, so I, I tend not to be as open-minded about injecting some of these newer concepts into it, uh, the firearms and things like that. Uh, however, in other campaign worlds, like you mentioned, Eberron, uh, that's a terrific place to include these. Uh, also, not super hostile to them in the Forgotten Realms either. Uh, but certainly, it, in the tradition of the game-presenting options, which it makes clear that that is all they are, uh, this is something that is now on the table for people's home-crafted 5e ready universes so i gotta say they did a nice job fleshing out a wide array of uh useful features for an artificer to move from you know low level tinkerer of knickknacks to you know rick sanchez the tinkerer of terror uh, <laughs> level 20 artificer mm. uh but <laughs> my, I'm, I'm, I'm speechless. But yes, they did a really good job of bringing it up to speed to some of the other classes that have been around for a while, especially the core classes, if you want to call them that. And this book really shines well. So if one of the things you wanted was somebody who uh, you wanted a new option for your table or your group or somebody's just always been fidgeting around with stuff wanting to play this kind of character this is a supplement for you so yeah and then they give a bunch of alternate class features and for barbarians and all the way down oh, primal paths for the barbarians uh, optional class features and you know colleges for the bard oh uh, you know the uh, college of creation the college of eloquence now uh, uh, the the clerics have some slept through my class in college <laughs> you know, just make it up as you go along yeah doing. some divine domains that uh and uh that yeah. had not yet been covered uh the druid of course also uh, <laughs> uh different circles that had not yet been added uh including the circle of stars or the circle of spores which Circle of Wildfire. Circle of Spores, man. I, My Conans, they yeah, love you. I, I feel like that one is... It's the hippie trippy weather dude. The Druid. <laughs> wow, man, these spores. Oh, okay. so, yeah, yeah, just... We just pick on Druids a little too much here. I do. Other podcasts, they like to pick on Bards. We pick on Druids. Yeah, because, I mean, everybody's talking about it. You're like, yeah, bards are why there's, like, all these different half-creatures all over the place. It's the bard's fault. Yeah, I think that's the druid casting a little misdirection there. Okay? Mr. Mr. Wild Creatures guy. It's, uh... <clears throat> all them shape-changed weekends that we don't know what, uh, what went on. Yeah, but uh, going through that, you know, each one of the uh, classes has been... 
yeah, has a lot of new styles. options um, to help out. And obviously, that's probably where a lot of people are going to gravitate to. Uh, and that in the spells, I think, is going to be big. The magic items also putting forth a lot of new and old magic items, familiar ones, uh, as long as well, we're on the subject of magic items on that one. I do like the legacy items that grow with the player. And they've tried this in various ways from third edition, Pathfinder, all the way up. So they did a good job on this one as well. I got to hand it to them. Every single class got something. Uh, yeah, some new options. Having said that, uh, I, I do feel that like some classes did not get as many changes yeah. as some of the others. The, yeah, yeah, the Paladin and the Druid seemed... Uh, it was kind of like, yeah, here's some weird ideas that we had haunting around in the back of uh, the yeah. computer files, you know, and uh, didn't make the cut for some of the other stuff, but here it is. And hey, you know, that's how it goes. But I feel like the Paladin uh, got a little bit shorted on this one, but hey, I'm a Paladin. Well, player. so did the fighter. You know, I mean, I they got a variety of background upgrades that are individually not particularly impressive, but there's a wide array of them, okay? I mean, it's a big, wide field of choices for where you came from and how that impacts play. But the maneuvers and some of the things that they can do. Some of those were nice. Yeah, I mean, they always do a good job with that. Uh, You know, the rogues got archetypes. uh, Yeah, the rogue got the steady aim, which I, uh, alternate class feature, which I thought was really nice. And you have a real more, a more, uh, Kind of Diablo One base bard. Yeah, the sorcerers did not come away too awfully bad in this one either. Uh, they they got some lovely little things uh, for for those with a sorceress bent. Uh, <laughs> uh, but of course, the warlock, uh, additional spells, eldritch invocation options. Uh, no, I just say it. I cast eldritch bolt. That's yeah. all you have to do with the warlock. It's true. I mean, it is kind of the the pumpkin spice latte of you know. You <laughs> can't get from your eldritch Karen, um, like a pumpkin spice latte, pack of misty light one hundreds. <laughs> so basic. I, I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't pick on the the warlock. Okay. I, there's a lot of fascinating ways to play a warlock. Tragically, a lot of people do not pick any of those. <laughs> it's like, yeah, they, like Eldritch blast the crap out of it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, other otherworldly patrons uh, gets a moment of coverage uh, that I think uh, can alter the way in which a warlock interacts with the game world so some of those i thought were very charming uh, optional fast features and for the wizard too yeah uh, including a few new spells uh some what? new spells for wizards what 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 madness is this yeah that, well you're just breaking the game now you're just talking crazy and of course you we have a whole section of this, but uh yeah uh, feats presented here in alphabetical order for groups that use them. Um, <laughs> uh, from things that really, they may not seem that important to gameplay, but they certainly add some spice to the player's activities. Uh, yeah, it's not it's not as beat heavy as Pathfinder, but you know it's still there. And you know, let's remember that skills and feats are optional. Yeah, and much in the tradition, tradition, most of, people use them, and that makes them ubiquitous. But. In the tradition of feats past, uh, they have maintained the prerequisite requirement for certain feats mm-hmm. that you must have worked your way to the master level feats uh, in advance. But some of these are very cute. I mean, you get chef. <laughs> Time spent mastering the culinary arts has paid off, granting you the following benefits. Uh, increase your constitution or wisdom score by one to a maximum of 20. You gain proficiency with cook's utensils if you don't already have it. As part of a short rest, you can cook special food, provided you have ingredients and cook's utensils on hand. Or on hand. You can prepare enough of this food for a number of creatures equal to four plus your proficiency bonus. 
the end of the short rest, any creature who eats the food and spends one or more hit dice to regain hit points regains an extra die eight points. Uh, or die eight hit points. Uh, with one hour of work, or when you finish a long rest, you can cook a number of treats equal to your proficiency bonus. These special treats last eight hours after being made. A creature, can use a, a creature can use a bonus action to eat one of those treats to gain temporary hit points equal to your proficiency bonus. Uh, and of course, temporary hit points fade away, so it's not a huge game breaker. But I gotta say, that doesn't it doesn't work like that for me, man. When I serve one of my like large meals, like basically everybody does the whole tryptophan like couch potato thing afterwards. Like, oh my god, it's fantastic! But now I, I want to lay down and take a nap. But I think the Boondocks had an episode on that. But yeah, yeah. so the, they've got all kinds of feats, oh. many of which are familiar to you. So, you know, those are uh, what is it? Uh, you know. Fighting initiative, poisoner, shadow touched, slasher, crusher, telepathic, metamagic. Uh, yeah, you know, the, the feet section adds some nice tidbits to the feet concept that had not yet been covered. So Yeah, I it's, it's some new options. There's obviously been, uh, you know, it's always something easy for them to put in. But all right, well, we're going to uh, take a break and we'll be right back. So stick around for the rest of our review of Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. And we're back. So, yeah, going through Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. And we arrive right into Chapter 2, which is the group patrons. Which, hey, you know, for a lot of people, this has been something that's traditional to most fantasy games. That there's a patron that has been hiring you to do certain tasks and goals. And this can be anything from just a few uh, sessions to an entire campaign. So Yeah, it doesn't always have to be the same patron. You know, it is hardly a straitjacket. It's a series of options uh, with the... You know, ancient beings, aristocrats, criminal syndicates, uh, academic, uh, guild, uh, military force, religious order, or sovereign, which, you know, I, you know, we perform our duties on behalf of the crown. I, I have played almost all of these cards at some point or another in all these years of DMing. So these are not new concepts, but they're very quickly and very neatly spelled out. Yeah, if I could take a sidestep, the uh, section about military uh, organizations... And like, if you ever get to play old Mech Warrior, or well, the new Mech Warrior has a new version. But if you ever get to play Mech Warrior, some of the ideas for military patrons in this one really do come out. Where more than just your characters are a hard scrabble group of Mech Warriors. Um, here's how you can use a military patron in a campaign through an extended play session. So. I found that not only does it work well with D&D, but many of the ideas are just universal and just darn good ones at that. Yeah, I, I love the uh, military force contact. Uh, I'm just the yep. only one I'm going to pause and stop on was the uh, taskmaster commanding officer. <laughs> this angry officer yells every order, reprimands you for the smallest mistake, and fully expects you to fail at every mission you undertake. This might be tough love or simple brutishness. And I think we all know where Mike's brain goes for that one, right? Arlie Emery? Yeah, you are absolutely dead on. <laughs> what is your major malfunction, numbnuts? Oh, what? Did your parents have any adventurers that lived? My God, Private Pile, I believe we finally found something you do well. <laughs> yeah, I literally hope that I get a chance as a 5 EDM to make use of that subtitle because it, nothing could make me happier. Yeah, each category comes with several subtypes and ideas you can roll on or choose. And of course, everything comes down to what really is going to work for your group. And, you know, one of the big things about Tasha's Cauldron of Everything is just giving you some ideas. And as I just said, not only just for D&D, but other games, this makes it a good resource. And if you think that some of them are just universal, well, hey, you're not wrong. But at the same time, it's nice to see them put into a singular format so you can have a collection of them rather than trying to ramble through your rat's nest of a brain. Okay, I'm talking from my own experience. Yeah. And try to draw from all the convoluted ideas that you've accumulated over the years. But yeah, they, they list like a, a die six rolls worth of each of the eight like archetypes that I, I mentioned at the beginning. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, 48 freaking options uh, for patrons 
that could engage the players and you can either perpetually shuffle them. And then there's an, even a section on uh, being your own patron. So these are some great ideas to spice up a campaign and to keep giving the dungeon master tools uh, to pull the players into the next adventure and to give the DM a kind of deus ex machina voice that manipulates events in campaign. Yeah, and I like the way that they're categorized because it puts them into a nice collection. And as I said, hey, you can even use these for like the Witcher role-playing game, criminal organization there, or you can use it for even, yeah, that's right, cyberpunk. I said it. Uh, sure. You know, yeah, okay, magical organ and religious orders. All right, maybe not so much, but the criminal organization and military, they play large. Yeah, and guild, of course, just means financial entities. Yep. You know, that their mercantile interests are their chief motivator. Uh, wow. You know, all of these things are very they easily universal. Adapted. And that's that's me thinking outside of the box is how to apply it, not just to D&D or Pathfinder, or to the fantasy genre, but play outside of it because really it's nice to have those all collected. So yeah, we gushed it about that. I think we beat them to that. So the next one is magical miscellany. And this is where hey, spells and magic items. Yeah, talking my language. Oh yeah. Yeah, how to really push out uh, how to make spells in each caster different and feel different. And this is something that's been tried in various other games and systems, but I think this one does pretty well. I, I am going to say that at the intro of the Magical Miscellany, uh, they provide a handful of new spells, which, you know, nothing particularly overwhelming, but they, they start at the lowest level and work their way up with a few, just just a handful of sample new spells. Yeah, like uh, Sword Burst or Tasha's Caustic Brew. Yeah, Tasha's Mind Whip. Uh, oh, yeah. There's kind of also a hint of Sionics in this one, too, so. Uh, then they get into the magic items zone, and I gotta say, here's where some things get interesting to me. Uh, they included the magical tattoo, mm -hmm. which, boy, you know, here's an era. That, this is a thing that has been uh, nominally present in gaming for quite some time, if you go back to the Azure Bonds. Uh, oh, yeah, or uh, Sionian Pathfinder. Yeah, you know, these are not brand new concepts per se. Uh, but they've been given new life, you know, they've been afforded a space into which they can be included in 5e. So uh, definitely a strong yes on my part. You know, this is particularly valuable to characters who are playing monks or like, you know, hand-to-hand -hand combat and they don't do the armor thing. Uh, yeah. You know, if if that's a facet of their, their character, this becomes a lot more valuable uh, to the person who isn't going to be toting around a whole bunch of gear. So I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> uh, but then they, you know, as you get into the magical items category, uh, they have included a nice variety of completely new items and a handful of slightly familiar items that have been reincorporated for the fifth edition. Yeah, like Bab Baba Yaga's mortal, Mortar and Pestle. I like that. Oh, yeah. Well, all things Baba Yaga are pretty nice. Oh, they called it a rebirth. You know? Oh, are <clears throat> one much? Demonomicon of Igwild. See, there's one that may ring a few bells. People will recall from Lost Caverns of Sacanth. Uh, however, you know, per the usual, uh, one should probably be careful handling such potent items. As well as some deep dives in the Greyhawk lore, like the Crook of Rao. Yeah. Oh, you're right. That is like a deep cut. Mm -hmm. We love the deep cuts here. Uh, the Heartweaver's Primer, the Librum of Souls and Flesh, uh, Luba's Taroka of Souls, which, of course, there's a nod to the uh, Taroka of Ravenloft. Uh, the Mighty Servant of Luke O makes an appearance Oh, you here. mean the BTR-1 Battlemaster from Battletech? <laughs> It's an 80-ton mech with a PPC and six medium lasers and SRM-6. Yeah, Teeth oh. of Dalvernar, also familiar. However, here's a note that I, I want to say. Uh, fifth edition handles the artifact somewhat differently than the earlier editions. Mm -hmm. uh, and they tend to spell things out much more clearly uh, with regard to the nature, background, and precise powers of an artifact. Uh, when it comes to options, that's an option I would often not choose. I would much prefer to 
treat all artifacts as things with an intensely random nature so that there is absolutely no way the player can predict what is about to happen. Uh, and I like that artifact unpredictability that ties the concept back to the first edition. So this is an option I would not personally take. Yeah, but it's one that you can change or take inspiration from. Do I approve of the continuing use of legacy items uh, in their in being present in the newest iterations of the game? Absolutely. Okay, I do approve there. Uh, but in terms of concept, myself, I'm a big fan of the random element and keeping players on their toes and wary about the handling of artifacts. So if they are in the game, so be it. Yeah, and now we go into the section four, which is the Dungeon Master's tools. And we just start here with a little marginalia scribbled in there by Tasha herself. It says, establish boundaries. If anyone crosses them, speak up. If they don't listen, there's always cloud kill. Well, there you go. <laughs> that spells it out. And right there is a game between her and Morgan Cannon. Tasha prepares to win another game of Wizard Bleed Chess against her rival, Morgan Cannon. And right here on uh, Session Zero, it talks about uh, character and party creation with a D6 and provides you with a good uh, origin story. And Oh, very much so. An option for running a player for a uh, game for one player, and they bring in uh, the ideas of social contra uh, contracts to put between people that players respect one another, listen to one another, support one another, do their utmost to preserve the cohesion of the adventure part. Hey, you would think that would be unspoken, but sometimes these things have to be delineated because we do forget. We've taken uh, us old salts take it for granted that a party divided will not conquer anything. Oh yeah, uh, look. I, I don't want to waste too much of our precious time here, but there is a, a side note for right. that. We have, in our 30-plus years of gaming and DMing, each encountered some circumstances where either ourselves or other people around us totally failed in that respect. And it was disastrous. Mm. Okay? So, rather than understating, like, oh, I don't know why anybody would even have to mention that, I've seen what happens when this matter is not addressed at all. We both have. Uh, it has flattened gaming groups. It has led to lengthy periods of not having a group to play with. There have been some truly monumental failures in that respect where people did not have like some kind of mutually agreed upon social contract as you know, friends or at least fellow players to conduct themselves reasonably. And the resulting bad blood uh, tanked more than just a session, but rather you know, nerfed the entire thing and everybody had to go start over from scratch. Okay. Including some friendships over yeah, the years. It, it has happened. So if there's a contention that like even mentioning this is some kind of insult implying something like I literally don't know what, uh, but no, it's not. It's sensible advice to the newly arriving player. Obviously the person who really has got a grip on it after 30 odd, 30 odd years, they don't need that help. But there's an awful lot of people that I look back on I probably could have used some of that advice when I was 16 because I was a two-fisted lunkhead and I had a giant chip on my shoulder the size of an enchanted sequoia. Uh, <laughs> and it was not pretty some of the time. Uh, I'm just very fortunate that I had the good friends I did uh, and that like they kind of wrote it out. They, they it, He's a really nice guy, okay? He's just got a few rough edges. We'll, we'll, we'll work it out. And time... Oh, of so, Every one of us has had that, but I like how yeah. they cover this section. I think they treat it very well. And I, I've seen it done in other games and supplements lately. Uh, session zero on setting uh, limits and agreeing to how to work together. But they also cover hard and soft limits where soft limits can be kind of crossed. And But, you know, you should be very careful. Like certain themes and ideas can ruffle some feathers so you don't want to really cross them too much but they're acceptable to talk about and hard limits you just don't do it and again common sense reigns here but having it spelled out and delineated just like with that mass of patrons that we've all we were talking about before it helps yeah and what how do we determine hard and soft limits okay your your table includes somebody who is in junior high and uh, she is a great lover of animals, just a huge fan of like awesome critters. Uh, all right. You know what? The, the soft limit is 
okay, you are rescuing some creatures that are in terrible danger and like you moderately describe that like they are suffering because they are uh, trapped and have not been well fed and have not been well cared for and some of them are skinny and sad and you're going to rescue them. Okay, you've made a nice light description that implies that the creatures have been uh, ill-treated. You did your job. Now, where do we find the hard limit here? Okay, same player, junior high girl who loves animals. Maybe now is not the time to lovingly describe how they're being hucked into the wood chipper from Fargo in a spatter gore, and like they're just their innards are now being used to paint a wall. You know, what the heck, dude? Dang. Okay, scale it back. So these are the hard and soft limits we're talking about. How far do you go? exercising judgment and you know what new players sometimes need this advice i do not disapprove right and so along with the getting the parties uh how they can get together they have a nice uh, couple examples one in illustration but also some other um optional rules in how to work things around um sidekicks now we used to call them henchmen they call them sidekicks but hey they're back i guess in one form or another I, they've never ever left, but hey, in my tables, no matter what edition I'm playing. But yeah, also some uh, alt classes like the Expert, the Warrior, the Spellcaster, rather than the Adept, the Warrior, the Expert from previous ones. Yeah, the Warrior and Expert sound much the same, and are, but the Spellcaster is less the uh, kind of hedge wizard and more just a catch-all phrase for anybody who casts spells that needs to fill in like you need a healer for a group that their cleric is more interested in war spells all right and speaking yeah. of war spells war pigs pink floyd wait what what's happening once again we are caught in the gaze of the arcane eye and you are forced to look at small projects from across the internet including independent games comics and other nerdery and what do we got for the arcane eye yes it has been lacking please few weeks but it has made its return what has it brung us to gaze at this time it's tim siebert's the clandestinats this is a 226 page comic of ultimate goodness it is a monochrome comic each page is in a different monochrome as a homage to the original monochrome covers of the original D&D uh, adventures. This is best left, uh, if you know what I'm talking about, uh, it's best listened to with either some good old uh, Gygax stoner metal album in the background or <laughs> Dungeon Synth. Yeah, that's a thing. Go, You're welcome. Go deep dive into that. And uh, Tim Siebert is just masterful in this one. The uh, Clandestinots are a group of adventurers of really bizarre origins but are very familiar to many of us because we've probably gamed with a few of these guys, <laughs> including a slug paladin, a slug man paladin. That just blew my mind. But yeah, he's the, he's one of, that dude is my hero. Does the slug king have minions? I, yeah, there we go. The slug king has minions. <laughs> but Tim Sievert's uh, wild adventure grips you and pulls you in and brings you out on the other side of this as they investigate the Citadel of the Crimson Wizard. Wow, and it's a, it's a treat. I'm not going to say anything more. You need to check it out if you haven't already. So, uh, with that said, uh, Arcane Nine releases you from its baleful gates and back into the realm of normality. So, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah, parlaying with monsters. Okay, yeah, we're still in Chapter 4, the DM toolbox uh, of Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. And it has a section... For the parleying uh, with monsters category, which it's not that the subject of having some communication with monsters uh, and morale some, yeah. and reaction and things like that, it's those have been covered, uh, but a little bit more specific to the type of creature that you are addressing. Okay, there's a difference between what a uh, dragon wants and what a plant wants. Okay. Uh, <laughs> wild beasts, uh, fey creatures, fiends, giants, humanoids, monstrosities, aberrations, what have you, celestials. They have different motivations, different desires. And here, you like just four options are given for each subtype so that 
you can roll, roll a dice at random or pick for yourself as the DM and come up with what, if they are parleying with this creature, trying to appease it or get past it or strike some kind of bargain with it, what should they be trying to present that creature with? What would it ask for? Uh, so for the novice DM, I think of this as yet another one of the essential tidbits. Mm -hmm. the, and even for us classic, uh, yeah, we haven't talked about our classic. This is a shortcut for us. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've always kind of had to do it by fly, but uh, we've learned to look at the creature, its background, motivations, and alignments as well, and make a decision from there. But sometimes it's like, what does a fire element want? Mm, something to burn up? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And well, exceeding... take off those uh, fancy uh, kickers of yours, those sandals, monk. Throw them to the fire elemental. He wants to burn them up. <laughs> Performing a dance from the elemental's home plane. Uh, you know. <laughs> the water elemental desires to see you dance the dance of the undulating wave. Uh, this oh, is going to get weird, dude. <laughs> yeah, the last time I did that, I broke a rib. Yeah. Oh, I hate that dance. Oh. <laughs> uh, then there's the environmental hazards section with, you know, uh, supernatural regions uh, that have, uh, you know, the radiant power of good in them or vice versa, the radiant power of evil. Uh, and if you're in an extraplanar scenario, you know, how is that literal physical presence hazardous to player characters of differing alignments? Uh, whereas... Uh, you have Far Realm, uh, which where they're so far away from the regular realms that, uh, or I'm sorry, when the, the intrusion of some ultra-distant realm into reality uh, has diminishing effects upon players. Uh, or, you don't want to go lightly. Uh, haunted Places is another option. Yep, and you know, these again, areas that have been hinted at, or through other supplements, Ravenloft and like that but here it is presented in even more expansive infested as in like actual plague level event of bugs critters or you know weirdness uh mirror zones which boy that one's pretty trippy okay uh you know get somebody call the mirror master and dial up the flash because oh. we got that kind of scenario on our hands um, <laughs> it's going, it makes me want to go in with a hammer and just start smashing. You know, psychic resonance uh, effects, yeah. uh, unraveling magic in a zone, uh, magical phenomena, including eldritch storms, which some of you may recall from the wild magic period of D&D, &D, especially in Forgotten oh, yeah. Realms. There's what I approve of here is that while I hated that being done to the campaign in the general sense when they presented the new Forgotten Realms after it had been ruined by making it fall into line with everything in the books, that some people liked some stuff in the books and now we're changing the whole campaign. Did not like that. Here, they present the exact same thing as an option that you can pick up or put down as you see fit. Well, you know, they were making... Um, Super approve of that. They were trying to make massive changes and get everybody on board on it. So. Heavy-handed as yep. it was, there were still some good ideas that can be solved. Enchanted spring effects. Magic mushroom effects. I believe I'm already an expert on that subject. <laughs> that's why the Spore Master Druid is here. <laughs> oh. Natural hazards, which again, uh, for the novice DM, incredibly valuable. Yeah, well, it's in the DM's but, guide, but it, it's in a little bit more expensive. Avalanches falling into water, uh, you know, <laughs> falling onto a creature, uh, spell equivalents of natural hazards. What is this, tune? Yeah, I know, right? Uh, <laughs> you fall off the cliff, and then the anvil comes down after you, yeah. and bang! Uh, Puzzles. Yeah, yeah. Now here's yeah, here's a good one. Because puzzles really can be a great way to enhance your game, and it can also be a great way to lose friends. So <laughs> they need to be handled in a <laughs> a certain format that doesn't make people just throw their empty beer cans at you. Yeah. 
Uh, there are a variety of puzzle options presented checks. here. I mean, you know, yeah, if I would have known this for some of my stuff earlier, I probably would have a better experience with puzzles and riddles. Yeah, puzzles, riddles, skeleton keys. Uh, yeah. How to really, it's a nice little handy toolkit how to customize your own puzzles. We don't want to give too much away here to the uninitiated, but. But yeah, this is a DM's treasure trove, especially for the new arrivals. Uh, again, you know, I never stopped thinking of the impact that this would have on a player. Uh, this is the kind of material that I loved inside the very back end, like the, the appendix section of the original DM's guide, first edition. Uh, there were so many useful tables uh, that had so much minutia mm -hmm. and weird, you know, side notes, you like the properties of gemstones. Uh, and I thought, oh, like this is totally what would be in some kind of like mage, sage, alchemist's lab, laying around on yeah. shelves in jars with the players not knowing what they are. This is that kind of tool book for the DM now, uh, including, you know, puzzles ranked by difficulty uh, so that there is some impression of how challenging you should make it, uh, you know, Obviously, first-level characters probably shouldn't be facing anything with terrifying consequences for failure. Uh, however, at the hard or extremely difficult levels, yeah, they should. Yeah, they include stuff like a members-only getting through a password at a uh, trying to get into a secret club or membership to an organization. Yeah, something as practical like that to a haunted hallway, which is rather hard. Yeah, yeah, or what's on the menu, <laughs> but. Uh, they've even got handouts uh, for, you know, the, the reckless steps uh, or the elusive island uh, skeleton keys. Yeah, they did a good job of making these puzzles accessible, quick and easy if you need to turn to something that applies. So this is probably something that belongs more on the DM side of the screen. But obviously, you know, players, there's a whole lot for you guys as well. Yeah, we <laughs> yeah, we consider ourselves players, but uh, yeah, we are. Yeah, we're, we're uh, next week. We're gonna besides talking about Alcadim, I think we'll uh, talk about our campaign that we got coming up. Me and Mike are playing together and DMing together again in the yeah. single campaign. So. Monday nights uh, are, is a new campaign that has some unique facets that I think are really worthy of discussion, not just as bragging rights, okay? Not, what did we do this week? Yeah. But we conceptually, there are some things at play in this new campaign that involve uh, increased player vestment in the creation of the game world that will be shared by both the players and multiple DMs. Uh, this is a much more interactive project than we have done in a while. Uh, it's also the first time in, I think, uh, several years uh, that, you know, we have actually gamed together. We've each had separate groups as DMs for a very long period of time. And then I went on a hiatus for a while because uh, I had been DMing steadily for something on the order of four or five years. And I was like, hey, oh, all right, a little, little break would be nice. And then, of course, COVID jumped in there and whooped everybody's butt and kept us all apart for a while. Uh, but I have been late making my return to the table. So this big fun for me. So we'll, we will be adding that as like intro tidbits uh, when it's appropriate. Yeah. We'll be doing spend about five, maybe 10 minutes. So anyway, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, it was a lot of fun for us to sit here and just kind of page through this together. Uh, I had a long sit down with it yesterday and, Really enjoyed the, the idea. I had a different impression going in, and that's why we had this kind of conversation about, hey, if you have this expectation going into this, you might want to rethink yourself. Yeah, so, this, look, I, I'm rating this of uh, the non-adventure-specific supplements, okay? I'm, I'm going to separate this from the, there's the specific adventure, and then there's the DM-related toolbooks. Uh, of the DM-related toolbooks, this I would rank as the most important release that isn't one of the primary three books. Yeah, I definitely um, agree with that. This You're not obviously going to use everything in this. And oh. even if you look at some of the ideas and give them some weight, I'm pretty sure you're going to agree that this will improve your game, even if you just take a couple suggestions out of here. And as players-wise, yeah, there's some uh, 
crunchy bits that obviously players are going to flock to and get this into their collection. But it's some of the stuff at the back part that's the really deep delve stuff into running and maintaining a campaign that I think it really shows the premise and power. Of this yeah,、book. for old DMs, I, I rank this as useful but not necessary. For newly arriving players and newly arriving、uh, would be DMs. I would rank this as extremely important. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, well, even for us old hands, there's a lot to learn. Yeah, there's a lot of value to be found in it, but it is not essential、uh, to the old、uh, to the old hack. <laughs> <laughs> you know,、yeah. those those of us who've been around the pasture a few times before,、uh, but you know, a swayback old、uh, you know spavined warhorses know our way through this. But the new arrival, I literally, I couldn't value it any higher. All right. And that's our recommendation for it. So let us know what you think, and you can,、uh, of course, log into Facebook and join our little merry band there, and let us know what you thought of this episode. Put your comments there, as well as you can get that dang old anchor app and leave us a message, and we'll talk about it on our next episode or episode to come. So, nonetheless,、uh, we appreciate your time and patience, as well as your forbearance. And until next time. May the, the dice, dice always roll in your favor. favor. We're out. See ya.